0: If you have your copies of Scripture this morning, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 26. We've already been reminded of God's great grace. Uh, We have been pointing all along to Christ and the wonder of the cross and His work there. Uh, Over the next several weeks, uh, we will conclude our journey through Matthew's Gospel. We've been in it for 31. This is the 32nd week we have been working through Matthew. Uh, We have finally arrived at chapter 26. We have arrived at the place that Matthew has been pointing to all along. As we started in Matthew from the very beginning and looking at Christ's genealogy to hearing that He was sent uh, to save His people from their sin, Matthew has been pointing us to this place. His argument has been that Jesus is the new King, the promised Messiah King who is establishing a new kingdom, a different kingdom. He's the King that is... Not there to overthrow Rome and restore Israel to a place of past prominence. That's not what he was about. That's not what he came for. He wasn't going to establish them as a world power. But rather he was a king that had come to save his people from their sins. The strategy and the work necessary to accomplish this work was going to look real different. In fact, radically different. It was going to look strange. It was going to be misunderstood. Evil at its core was going to be destroyed. But he wasn't going to target out one particular nation, one one nation that he was going to destroy. It was going to be a war of sorts. There is a war. We're in it. I'm reminded constantly in hearing uh, and being reminded of what John Piper said, we ought to live as though we are in wartime. We are not living in peacetime. There is a war going on, and he was fighting that war. But it wasn't going to be fought in a traditional way. There's a battlefield, but it wasn't going to be fought on a traditional battlefield. There was going to be a great warrior king. That was him. This was the new king. But he didn't look like a warrior in the sense that you would expect to see the king go out with his armor on and leading the charge in that way. That was not the way it was going to be done. He wasn't going to be adorned in the usual battle garb. And when the battle was over, and this is what is so interesting and and so hard for so many to understand, when the battle was over, It was not the one left standing on the field who was the victor. It was the one who was placed in the tomb. And the one who came out of the tomb three days later. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Sounds odd. A king trying to build a kingdom, but he's doing it through death, not through winning a victory on a battlefield where he's standing and he's doing this. He's not standing at the top of the steps like Rocky. No, he's walking in humility, leading, teaching, loving, guiding, judging truthfully and honestly, and then lays down his life. That is what Matthew has been pointing to. That is the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Thinking about that this week, just as I've been meditating on this text over and over again. Um, and this is not to be critical, in, but it is just to be truthful. Uh, this chest beating that we find in churches and oftentimes in Christian leaders has no place, has no place. When it comes to looking at our Savior, can't imagine being a chest beater when we are being conformed into the image of Christ because he has not been pounding his chest any of the time, neither before or after. I'm reminded when we were looking at Hebrews and we went back there for the last three weeks as we looked at our identity series, Is he beating his chest now? No. You know what He's doing? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who have trusted in Him. Caring, loving, considerate, kind. The Spirit of God, He's not beating His chest. Where is He? He's living inside of the lives of the believers, seeking to humble them to mold them, shape them, convict them, convict us of sin. That's the reason why our times of confession are so important. It's because we are being laid bare across the Word of God. There's no chest beating there. That doesn't mean that we walk around defeated. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is no chest beating there. There's no place for pride. Whatever we are to boast in is the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, I have nothing else to boast about but Christ Jesus. So thus we came this morning and did what? We pointed to the Ancient of Days, all held the power of Jesus' name. And then our spirits were quieted to remember. That there is no one more kind, caring, pure, and righteous; no one worthy of our boast and worship, but the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what Matthew has been pointing to, and that's what we want to look at today. There's two things that I want us to take away as we as we brush stroke across Matthew 26. Two things, and we'll talk about it in two different ways. One, I want us to see the wickedness of man. When we get to Matthew 26, we thought in looking at the Pharisees and everyone else that we have been seeing, wickedness, when we get to Matthew 26, this wickedness is at a whole other level, and it is, it is slammed into our face, the wickedness of man. But you know what counters the wickedness of man? Two things. And these are the things that we'll look at. The very love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all through Matthew 26, it is just permeated with touches and moves and words and acts and attitudes on the part of Christ that speak of His great love. In that, we see this king who is a king of love. You say, well, we talk about love. Yeah, but there is also in this text the beginnings, and we we will see it fleshed out again next week as we get to chapter 27. Not only is he a king of love, but he is also a king of judgment. I hope you caught that today when we looked at our call to worship a king of love, a king of judgment. The wickedness of man and the love of Christ. Best place to start would be in verse 1, wouldn't it? So let's look. When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, that was the end of that fifth section of teaching in Matthew. Remember we said there were five sections of teaching in Matthew. We concluded that when we met would have been four weeks ago today, I think it's right, yeah, four weeks ago today, when we concluded chapter 25. The, The end of that is, is that when Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to His disciples, Listen, this is loving. You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. It's a loving statement. Loving how? Loving in that he wants them to know what is ahead. He wants them to know what to expect. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. 48 hours roughly from when he makes this statement, okay, 48 hours they are going to spend doing life the way they have been doing life for the last three years. Seemingly nothing is going to change. The very next thing that we're going to go into are are a couple of meals and a couple of places of fellowship. And all of those things are taking place. He wants them to know and He wants them to understand. But this isn't the first time that he said this. It's not the first time that He's pointed them to this. If you look back in Matthew 16, 21, it said from that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day... Be raised. In chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And then in chapter 20, in verse 18, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn Him to death, deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and He will be raised on the third day. Over and over again, He is telling them this to prepare them for what is to come. And they don't understand. They don't get it. And now he comes and says, and in two days this is going to happen. And they still don't get it. They still don't understand. We wouldn't have either. Just know that. We would not have either. We would have been no different than them. Why? Well, we live life today. How? Like there are going to be a thousand tomorrows. We think about life today in terms where we don't give consideration to an end. Many of you in here know Miss Elba Miller but have known her. She passed away yesterday. Went home to be with the Lord and uh, had a chance to visit with her yesterday was a week ago. Visited with her again on Friday and we were talking through things, and she knew the end was coming. Uh, and she said, I'm ready. Uh, and then she even had a chance to tell the doctors and her family, look, you can't help me and make me better. And if I can't get better, I want to go where I'm going to be made better, really better. But that was her point. Um, I was visiting with Daddy yesterday. I had been keeping him up to date about myself. And as I sat and talked with him, uh, he said, uh, uh, this was before she passed away. In fact, I received a call that she had passed away while I was visiting with him. But I was talking with him. And, uh, and, and you all know he's getting older. In fact, a week from tomorrow, Lord blesses him to live, he'll be 94 a week from tomorrow. But anyway, with that, uh, he said, uh, she's going to get better, isn't she? I said, uh, oh, doesn't look like it not here. He said, well, you don't know that. I said, well, granted, I don't know that. But I said, it's not going to. And he said, he said, you know, I'm not going to die. I said, we're all going to die unless the Lord returns. I thought about that in terms of the fact that he, even at almost 94, he does not have yet a category in his mind about his death. That's the way we live. And there's some good in that in some ways. There are also things that are not good about that. If we don't prepare for that end. The point is, is that Jesus was trying to help them get prepared. We move along into text and... We find that while God is ruling and reigning and Jesus is prophesying and saying what is going to be because He knows what is to come. It has been planned from eternity past. It's being worked out in the midst of wicked and evil people. Look in verse 3. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Okay? Matthew is giving us a glimpse of the heart of wickedness at its height. Wickedness in what way? To kill and destroy the Son of Man. To kill and destroy the Son of Man. Verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, Said to them. And it doesn't sound like that they were saying it where he could hear it. I mean, I mean, you certainly couldn't do that, could you? You wouldn't do that. Never let him know that you think that what's taking place is a waste on him. This is our rabbi. No, they're saying this among themselves. And he's aware of it. And listen to what he says. Why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. Listen, for you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me in pouring this ointment on my body. She has done it to prepare me for what? For burial. I've told you that I'm going to die. She is coming here to prepare me and anoint me and anoint my body, preparing me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, I want you to make a note of this, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her we're reading about that today aren't we what jesus said is true but notice what he was telling them then that this gospel was going to be preached over the whole world before we get to the end or through the end of matthew we're going to hear how he commands that but even here he is saying that what is getting ready to take place is gospel, is good news. My death, good news. My burial, good news. Every other time He has mentioned His death to them, He has concluded with His resurrection. Good news. And this good news is the very thing that Matthew was pointing to that ultimately this work would save His people from their sins. In fact, today, if you're here and you have not yet trusted Christ, I will say to you that your sins need to be forgiven because there is a King who will judge And there will be salvation or there will be judgment and salvation comes in this work that he is doing and that rejected, that rejected ends in judgment. I want you to think about this for just a minute. All of heaven is interested in the cross. All of heaven is interested in it. All of hell is threatened by it. Those are established. We are the only ones who pass it off Ignore it. Receive it. Reject it and push it away. Heaven's condition is established. It is interested in the cross. Extremely interested. Because heaven knew, heaven knew the day that the Son of God left heaven and heaven was void of His presence as the Son. And for 33 years in heaven, the Son of God is not in heaven. The Son of God is on earth. For what? If it could be recorded, I'd have Brian say what he has told us many times in our Connect group. The centerpiece of all of history is what? The cross. And the centerpiece of every person's life who ever lived is the cross. Hear it again. The centerpiece of human history is the cross. And the centerpiece of every person's life is the cross. And the cross... And what we do with it and how we respond to it determines whether there is life and salvation or eternal death and judgment. And there is no middle ground. There is no neutral soul. There is no safe place when we come to that issue as it pertains to the cross. Why is that important? It's because Matthew is pointing us to this. We are going to be forced, all of us, forced to make a decision about the cross. We see that here, and Jesus says that this good news, this centerpiece that we're pointing to, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Why? Because the whole world needs to hear it. Why? Because the whole world lays in darkness. The whole world lays in darkness. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver. Price of a slave. That's what it was. It wasn't an exorbitant amount of money. It wasn't like he was getting rich. No, no, no. He sold himself out for pennies. All he was wanting to do, all he was wanting to do was to do the work that he had been called to do. It's all kinds of speculation what he had going on in his mind. None of us know that. We just see that he spent three years with Jesus. There were only a few things that Judas Iscariot did not see and was not privy to and he wasn't alone in that. There were three and sometimes four of the other disciples that were exposed to situations and circumstances and experiences that the other disciples weren't. But by and large, they ate together. He ate with Jesus for for, for three years. For three years. He walked with them. He saw people healed. He sat under His teaching. He followed Him. Jesus prayed with Him, prayed for Him, sent Him out. We don't see anything in the sending of the twelve and the seventy that would exclude Him from doing all the other things that the disciples did. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered how that could be? Walk along with Him for three years in such closeness and intimacy. Laugh with Him. Eat with Him. Pray with Him. Be encouraged by Him. Maybe even encourage Him sometimes. But this is what He was to do. And He did it. For not much. For not much. Be careful here to not be overly critical of Judas. His lot and his end is the same as it will be for you if you don't trust Christ. Same thing. He's not marked out as the worst person in all of the world. He rejected Him and betrayed Him. If you haven't trusted Christ, and for those of you who have, there was a time that you rejected Him as well. And my goodness... I know today by the grace of God that I'm saved, but have I ever betrayed Him? I betrayed His righteousness and His goodness every time I sinned, every time I've lied, every time I've had an impure thought. In a sense, there has been a betrayal of Jesus. Let's not be overly critical. We're seeing the height of wickedness in the course of this text so that we can identify with that wickedness because all along the way, Jesus is in the middle of this, navigating through this, identifying with those who are wicked. Verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, The disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says my time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. would have been better for that man if he had not been born Judas who would betray him answered is it I Rabbi he said to him you said so you said so he has sold him out for 30 pieces of silver the plan has already been put in play it's a done deal and in his foolishness he comes and says is it me was he wanting to know if it was him no uh-uh. he was wanting to know if Jesus knew if it was him he wanted to know if Jesus knew who had betrayed him and Jesus said You've said so. You've said so. Hold your finger there a minute. It was interesting when I was working through this text. It comes up again. Something very similar. We'll look at it in its fullness, but I want you to go there now. Look in verse 57. Jesus has been arrested at this point in time. And they lead him in verse 57 to uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. And now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is that that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, what? You've said so. You've said so. Two places. You've said what is true. Yes, Judas, you're the betrayer. The other gospel accounts tell us that Jesus then says what? Go and do what you have set out to do. Caiaphas stands at Jesus and said, I adjure you, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus could remain silent about everything else, but He is calling Him now either say you are or you aren't. And He said, you've said so. Both of these yeses have great implication on these people's lives and they have great implications on our lives let's press in a little bit farther. go back to verse 26 now Judas is gone and now as they were eating Jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. What covenant? All the covenants that they had known before had been what? Had been sealed in blood, had been established in blood. In fact, they were at Passover, and the blood would flow. They had channels that where the blood would flow from all of the lambs that were going to be slain, it would flow out into the river and the creeks outside. They said, you walk through it and it was red because it was just filled with blood. An old covenant that as we saw in Hebrews is going away and he said, but this is the blood of my covenant. My blood of this covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Now they still don't have it yet. Okay? But listen at the language. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's still a cup that He will drink. Look in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And He came to the disciples and He found them sleeping. He'd ask them to watch with Him. Man, my heart's torn up. I'm in anguish. I'm struggling here. Walk with me through this. They're asleep. And He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? We looked at it earlier in our confession. This is the same Peter that said, No, Lord, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to go with you all the way to death. But, But right now I need to sleep. Listen, he who is faithful in the small things will be faithful in the bigger things. He can't be faithful here to do the lesser it should already be a clear indication to him that he will not be faithful yet to do the greater. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, the second time he went away and prayed. He's still struggling. My Father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. Interesting in looking at this text that we've often wondered, maybe you have, what happened between the first and the second prayer? The first prayer is, is let this cup pass from me. The second prayer is since this cup can't pass what happened? Well, turn over to Luke chapter 22 and verse 43 and we'll find out what happened. I just think this is tremendously important for us. Luke's account beginning in verse 39. And He came out and went as was His custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed Him and when He came to the place He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. And what happened? There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. How did the angel strengthen him? Not quite sure. It may have been a word. The Father is telling me to tell you His Son. There's no other way but this cup. We know that. We know that. Hebrews chapter 5, I believe it is. Turn there if you will. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh not talking about flesh in a bad way. When Jesus was when Jesus was man, okay? When Jesus was man, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was what? able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Notice what it says. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. What's going on here? Well, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And and I want us to, to identify with this today because this is such a great demonstration of His love toward us. There is a war going on inside of Jesus. Well, what's He fighting for? Well, one, He's fighting because He's getting ready to go die and He knows it. And as we would be, He as human is struggling with the reality that my life here is ending. My life here is ending. In a matter of a few hours, it's ending. These people are plotting to kill me. Judas is betraying me. My closest followers are going to scatter, as he said. Look in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, and they went out of the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. You will all fall away because of me. You will all leave me, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now he's giving them a word of hope again now. He's telling them in love what's going to happen. They are going to be scattered. They're going to be away from Him. They have found their identity in Him for the last three years. They have found their security with Him for three years. This was as much about them as it was about Him. He says, you're going to scatter. I'm not going to be with you. But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, He says, just bear it. He's concerned about them. John's Gospel has told him what? Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return again and I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may also be. He is concerned about them, but it also means that He is going to be left alone. But after I'm raised, I will go before you into Galilee. And that's when Peter answered, Ah, they may, they may, not me, though they all fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Oh no, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the other ten chimed in and said, What? Me too. I'm there with you. And here he is in anguish, getting ready to face death. But he wants it to be successful. He is fighting to accomplish the will of the Father. Do you find that as a hard fight for you? Do you find that as a hard fight for you? might even go back and ask a pretty the question that you are asking are we even concerned about the father's will it might not be a hard fight for us who profess Christ if we give no consideration to the will of God if the will of God is nothing more than just words that roll off of our tongue as if somehow the will of God is out here and everywhere and it is nothing to be done. If the will of God in our mind is nothing more than just, well, God wants it, it's going to happen. Or if we just don't even think about it at all. Oh, he was thinking about it. It's his will too. And he's fighting to see that it is accomplished. That's what he's fighting for. He's fighting to For in that garden, he is fighting for you and your salvation. That's what he was fighting for. And he is coming to the Father and saying, if there is any other way, and God sends him an angel and says, son, you know there's no other way. And he comes back and says, what? If it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed the third time, saying the same words. If it can't pass, your will be done. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hand of sinners rise let's be going see what my betrayer is at hand my betrayer is at hand We're going to stop there, but I do want us to go and look at what Jesus said after Caiaphas just asked that question. Basically puts him on the spot. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You said so, but he doesn't stop there. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. If you uh, have your worship guide handy, Turn to our call to worship. As I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took His seat. Court is getting ready to be had. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before Him. A thousand thousands served Him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. The court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus said to Caiaphas, in the presence of those who gathered around, but I tell you, From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. This king, man, he's a loving king. Isn't he? He's a loving king. But he is also a king of judgment. The cross is in the center of your life. Your history. Your eternity will be determined by what you do with the cross. Jesus drank the cup. He drank the cup that was to make the cup that he pointed to in that meal. A cup of joy, a cup of deliverance, a cup of salvation. And for those who are able to drink that cup, judgment is no more. Judgment is no more. Will you pray with me? Father, Your Word today, I think, has laid us bare. I hope it has. It has me. To think of Your suffering and anguish even before You get to the cross. And contemplating, Lord Jesus, all that was to be done. All that You were to bear. Physically. but all that You were to bear in bearing the wrath of God. Father, thank You for sending the angel. Lord Jesus, thank You for being obedient and suffering that we could have life. And Father, help those of us here today who have not trusted You to begin to see all that you have done to bring salvation to those who would believe and to save your people from their sins spirit of god Press into the darkness of our hearts and lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.